Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Horror Geek Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Ann, and with me is my co-host, Justin Corbett. And for those of you who don't know, I'm the owner and editor-in-chief of HorrorGeekLife.com. It's a site that covers all things horror, geek, and gaming. And I'm a writer at HorrorGeekLife.com as well as a contributing editor. Okay, so let's jump into a few things that we covered over the last week on Horror Geek Life. So first up, uh, we have some horror news come in about the 2018 Halloween film. Danny McBride, who was writing the film, came out and said that the film picks up after the first one, but it's sort of an alternative reality. It's as if the first Halloween ended in a slightly different way. So that quote is up for interpretation (laughs) a little bit, but how it comes across is that they are going to alter the end of the first film, the original, and that has people a little upset, especially when he's not really clarifying what exactly that's going to do. So it'll be interesting to see. Well, I think as long as there's no, you know, hell worms crawling out of people's mouths or anything, it'll probably, (laughs) it'll probably be okay. Probably. I'm actually all in favor of that. I can't lie. (laughs) Um, he also said that he hopes they don't fuck it up and piss people off. You know, people are already kind of hesitant because it has Blumhouse attached to it. I'm usually a fan of Blumhouse horror films, but there are a lot of people that kind of think that Blumhouse takes horror films and waters it down a little bit for the masses, which can be true. I just think that they do it in a good way, typically. Um, so people are already kind of skeptical and this quote did not help anything (laughs) for sure. Well, you just can't worry about that. Like, there's going to be just as many people that love it as there is that hate it. So you just have to make what you want to make and hope for the best. Very true. I mean, this film is already bringing on Laurie Strode. Not only Laurie Strode, but Jamie Lee Curtis. And Jamie Lee Curtis is going to have an older daughter. And it's going to alter the first film. I mean, I literally cannot imagine what this film is going to look like, but I'm really excited to find out. I can't either. And and Danny McBride is a fairly unapologetic person. So um, I imagine he's going to make this what he wants to make this. And, you know, it'll it'll stay true to his vision. So if people don't like it, he'll be the only one to blame. (laughs) That's true. And, you know, John Carpenter, he's still kind of overseeing this. And so I, I think that it will still have that carpenter feel to it. I don't think that they're just going to throw out a piece of trash like a lot of people are expecting. I think it's going to be pretty interesting. I'm excited so. to see. We'll find out. Yeah, me too. I'm going to be there like opening night. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> we'll see. Um, so speaking of huge movies, uh, the director of The Last Jedi, Ryan Johnson, is going to write and direct a new Star Wars trilogy. Disney has hired him to do that because they think that he did such a great job with The Last Jedi, and he's going to do it alongside Ram Bergman, who he's collaborated with for years. Last Jedi must be really, really good, at least from Disney's perspective, for them to do this, to hand the reins of such a major franchise for a three-movie deal to this guy when they didn't do it for J.J. Abrams, and they didn't do it for anybody who's like a well-established sci-fi guy. Um It'll be it'll be interesting. I'm really excited to see Last Jedi. This makes me even a little bit more excited because they obviously are very happy with his results. Right. I think what's more interesting is kind of, you know, what you're saying is that I mean, he's he's a known director for some films. I think Looper is what I pretty much knew him from, but that really isn't anything that you would consider. No, I didn't realize he did Looper. Loop, Looper's he a did. fine movie. Looper's a fine movie, but it's not Star it Wars. <laughs> you know, Star Wars yeah. is one of those things that if you get it wrong, the fans will crucify you. So, <laughs> you know, they have a lot of faith in him. 
Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking is kind of on the same lines as you is that, okay, this better blow my effing mind <laughs> for them to give him a, a three movie deal. Yeah. So I'm excited to see what he does with this franchise. Yeah, me too, for sure. Lastly, the Pokemon Go creators are developing a game for Harry Potter fans that's going to be called Harry Potter Wizards Unite. And it's pretty much going to be the same premise as Pokemon Go, but with get, Harry Potter. You get to capture Hermione. That's the that's the goal. You just walk around and capture Hermione. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, insert I inappropriate joke here. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I don't think Niantic's gonna do that. I think it's gonna be fighting monsters and magical creatures and things like that more so than capturing wizards. Yeah, that's exactly it. You can explore locations in the real world. You can team up with other players uh, to, to fight. You can go up against legendary beasts. And they did tease that there will be some iconic characters within the game from the series. So Cool. Sounds fun. I played Pokemon Go for about three days. It was it was okay. You know, I know people that still play that are still just as committed to it as they were when it first came out. And, uh, you know, I think it takes a certain type of person, maybe a more athletic person than I am, to uh, maintain that level of interest. But for the people that don't mind walking around trying to catch stuff, looking at their phone, you know, risking their lives wandering through traffic and parks and stuff, <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> it's a good game. <laughs> there were so many stories that came out. I mean, the media just kind of grabbed it because it was so big, right? And so... There were those stories about, oh, you know, this person fell into a fountain while playing Pokemon Go and almost walked into traffic while playing Pokemon Go. Um, I never played. I experienced it with a friend's phone where I had it and I looked around. And I mean, I think I it entertained me for maybe 10 minutes, but I never played it. I'm probably not going to play this one either because I really don't have any interest in going out and doing all of this. But um, it'll be fun to see I, what I like, they do with it. I like my games to be stationary. You know, you just sit in one place and do it. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to sound like a total, like, you know, lazy ass here, but that's kind of me too. Um, <laughs> VR hasn't captured me. The Wii back in the day when you'd have to stand up with your uh, nunchucks and kind of navigate through. You don't have to tell navigate me. Through. I bought a Wii and I bought Punch Out and I played it for like two days straight to the point where I was exhausted physically. My arms hurt. <laughs> and then I never touched the Wii again. And like three more Wii systems came out and then I just sold it for like 20 bucks. <laughs> it's too, too much physical activity. I mean, like I said, like I... I yeah, kind of. But, you know, put me in Fallout and I'm there for 800 hours. <laughs> Completely agree. Digital high five. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe we should actually do this game. <laughs> maybe it'll be good for us. <laughs> um, and also, you know, there's a whole social aspect that you have to kind of go out and be a little... It, it kind of prompts you to be social, I guess, to find other players and stuff. And That's another that. That's another check mark <laughs> against it for me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay so moving on to our next segment is our strange and macabre story justin do you have something for us today i do um so the theme for this episode is what pets pets so uh i i'm a huge fan of cats i've always been a cat guy Um, i actually own way too many cats uh, but I wanted to tell a strange and macabre story about cats. So I did some research and I found out about the legend of the wampus cat. And uh, this is a creature that's been scaring people in the Northeast Tennessee region for hundreds of years. And supposedly it's a half cat, half woman that sometimes walks on four legs and sometimes walks on two legs. And um, it's an ancient Native American legend. And uh, there's actually three different variations of the story 
And nobody knows which one is the actual origin of it, but there's three that are widely considered to be true. Um, the first one is that there was a young Cherokee woman who had a serious lack of trust for her husband. One night, while the men of the tribe were hunting, she decided she would sneak up and spy on the group. So she took the skin of a mountain lion, draped it over her head, and approached the group in the dark. Moments later, she was discovered and taken to the medicine man, whose punishment was to make the lady wear the mountain lion's coat forever. And her spirit continues to wander the area, with her mortifying appearance etched in the nightmares of men, women, and children alike. The second one is that an awful beast had been terrorizing the Cherokee for quite some time when a young warrior summoned the courage to put an end to it. So he set out to destroy the beast once and for all, but as he approached it, the beast turned and faced the warrior. As he looked upon the face of the beast, the warrior was instantly driven insane. Vowing revenge, the warrior's wife set out to find the beast. She cloaked herself in the skin of a mountain lion and snuck up behind it. When the beast turned and saw her, he ran away terrified and was never seen again but the spirit of the woman still roams the area wearing the mask of the mountain lion. And the third story, and this is the one that is most widely considered to be true, is that there was once an old woman who lived by herself in the hills of West Virginia. Rumor has it that she was a witch and that she snuck around at night stealing and killing livestock. One night the townsfolk got fed up with losing their animals and made plans to catch her in the act. And although they never actually caught her stealing cattle or sheep, they did catch her in the middle of her transformation from woman to cat. Startled, her metamorphosis stopped and she remained half woman, half cat forever. And now she hunts everybody, apparently. (laughs) So that is the story of the Wampus Cat, this creature that's been terrorizing northeastern Tennessee for the last 200 years or so. Okay, so you say that they have been terrorized by this creature. So there are actual, like, eyewitness reports of this? Oh, yeah. Uh, There's a lot of reports. It's basically the Jersey Devil of Tennessee. People say that uh, animals have died and they've seen cat-like creature, sometimes running on four legs, sometimes running on two, running away with the carcass. Uh, children have been terrified and cried to their mom and dad. They've seen this creature, you know, in their barn or in their fields. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of reported sightings. It's kind of an interesting story if you look it up and look at some of the pictures and ideas of what the creature might actually look like. So did you see that there are any, like, recent reports or is this kind of all older stuff. Um, I, I haven't seen anything beyond like 2015. Um, there's a lot of people talking about it in the last couple of years, but it's mostly explaining the legend, not so much actual reports. I did pull up pictures just so I could get a visual as we're sitting here talking about this. And apparently people do some furry cosplaying of this. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I'm going to keep scrolling. So <laughs> I did not need that visual, <laughs> but I I'm looking at the other stuff and yes, I, I see that it would be terrifying if you saw this. I like these stories. I, I kind of like, you know, the urban legends and uh, finding out where the legends actually came from, like the stories that they originated from. Mm-hmm. I just want to see it, though. You know, like I want to see something cool. And you've got to think, if it's been happening for 200 years, give me some video. People have video cameras all over their properties now, especially, you know, if they have animals and barns and things like that. I just want to see something. Give me something, people. Maybe one day we'll see something. I mean, there's got to be some cryptids out there. People can't just keep making stuff up everywhere. So <laughs> maybe one day. <laughs> That's very true. The- and I've met some cryptozoologists and people that kind of, you know, hunt like the Jersey Devil and things like that down and try to prove that they're real. And, uh, you know, they always have tracks and sometimes like fur that they find up against trees and stuff. But there's just never any video. That's what I want to see. The problem is we would never know for real if anything came out because everybody's so used and accustomed to expecting it to be a hoax that the minute anything real did come out, even if these things are, 
you know, everybody would assume that it's photoshopped or edited somehow or, you know, a clever hoax that somebody's putting on. I think we live in a, a society of skeptics now, so it's way too hard to prove that anything like this actually exists. That's very true. Um, I have never seen a ghost film that I believe ever. Me neither. That's very true. <laughs> Um, I, I've even seen Facebook live films before <laughs> and I, I'm still looking at it with that skeptical eye of what are they doing behind the scenes to make this happen right now? Because it's not real. I've seen orbs, so, but it's really just floating dust. I mean, <laughs> I do think that some orbs are probably floating dust. Yes. <laughs> Maybe some are real though. And you know, I don't know. Maybe. But yeah, so I know what you mean about the skeptical thing, but that's a cool story regardless. And I've never heard of it even being from the South. I've never heard of that. So well, now, next time you go to Tennessee, you got something to look out for. On to our main topic. As you mentioned already, we're talking about pets and horror and we're going to talk about the worst pets and horror, meaning the pets that we would never want to own and the best pets and horror. So let's start with the worst. Number one on the list is church from pet cemetery. Good old church. <laughs> yes. So pre-death church is a pretty okay cat. The girl loves him. He's a nice little family pet or whatever. After death church, not so much. What are you talking about? He was fine. <laughs> <laughs> that cat actually terrified me as a child because, you know, Pet Cemetery was my first horror film. I saw it when I was eight or nine years old. And I had nightmares about this cat for so long. Even today, when I see pictures of the cat, in a group or on Facebook or whatever, it just kind of triggers <laughs> those those memories and those nightmares still. So, yeah. He didn't really have the same effect on me, but I think uh, we talked about this before that I saw Pet Cemetery much later um, in life than you did. Right. So it didn't seem quite as intense as it might have to a child. Yeah. So, you know, the one of the parts that always stuck with me is he's dead, obviously, and he came back from the grave and he's just this kind of, rotting away cat and he's sleeping in the little girl's bed and the dad you know when he goes in there he says good night to his daughter or he checks on her at night and the cat's just laying there it's like there's just this dead thing laying in your kid's bed but That's she always stuck with me. she loved it so much i mean she couldn't let it go she did which is why he brought it back that whole movie was about not being able to let stuff go <laughs> <laughs> Let it go, people, fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> so after Death Church definitely makes the list of, of things that I would not want to own. <laughs> totally um, understandable. Next up on the list is kind of a victim of circumstance, really. is one that I've always felt so sorry for, and that is Cujo. Yeah. It, it, it is awful. You know, he tries to kill. He goes rabid. He tries to kill the little boy. He tries to kill the mom. But again, he's rabid, and it was that fucking bat that came and bit him, did this to him, and now, of course, he's you know acting out because he's rabid. And I've always just felt so sorry for Cujo because of that. I mean, it's really just a dark old yeller. That's very true. That's very true. Yeah. I remember seeing this when I was a kid, too, and I, I kind of saw a lot of the Sting Stephen King films when I was a kid. And so I think a lot of them had, you know, more of an impact on me. And this is just one that always depressed me and I actually still have trouble watching it today because it just makes me so sad. <laughs> so, but on the same token, I wouldn't want to own him. Yeah, I wouldn't either. I, I agree with that. <laughs> I mean, how terrifying was it to see just how relentless he was? Relentless is definitely the right word to describe him. <laughs> And it's like, no matter what they were doing, he just kept going and going. And I remember 
one time walking as a kid with one of my friends and we were walking around the block and a huge dog came up and was just growling and barking and snapping. And that was kind of one of my Cujo moments, I think. Mm -hmm. And, um, and like, it's always terrified me since then to, you know, to go up against a dog like this. And so it definitely is terrifying to think about. Yeah, it is. Like I said, I'm more of a cat person anyways. So, uh, I've had several Cujo moments in my life. <laughs> Did you feel sorry for him when you watched? Yeah, I felt sorry for him. Um, I mean, honestly, it was the same effect as old Yeller had on me. Like, I felt sad for the dog, uh, even though, you know, he's a lot more malicious. But I don't know. I'm not much of a dog person. So, yeah. And speaking of a, another pet that I would never want to own, but I actually kind of had some feels for. And that was Dart from Stranger Things. That's probably the newest pet that we have on our list. But yeah, I kind of I kind of love Dart, but then you really don't want to own them, especially you because you have cats, right? Well, I mean, I don't want to pick up my my pets from the trash can. <laughs> you know, I mean, like and especially not of some weird lizard thing. Like there's lizards crawling all over the outside of my house at night. If I really wanted one, I could just go get one, but I don't, you know. They don't make great pets, so especially yeah, I mean, especially whenever you see it eating the inside of your cat yeah i mean you don't really want to own a pet demigorgon <laughs> probably not but the reason that i had the fills other than you know dustin is just so damn adorable is that you know towards the end he kind of remembered that right he he remembered dustin and kind of their bond that they had and so that's kind of where you get some fills is that he was kind of adorable yeah or he just really wanted some nougat you know, that seems more likely to me that he just, he wanted the food. <laughs> I'm going with Bond, damn it. <laughs> I want to have this. <laughs> but, you know, part of the series kind of made me mad at Dustin because I'm just like, why are you being so stupid? But then the other part of that was, oh, he just wants a friend. Yeah. Um, so. Season two did a lot to remind us that they're all children. Because like in season one, they were all very mature for, for little kids, but a lot more of their little kidness came out in this season, I think. Yeah, I can actually agree with that. And that was Dustin's moment for sure is here we are in Hawkins, Indiana, where really, really weird shit happens, really evil stuff happens. And I just happened to find a new species in a trash can that I I think it's wise to take home with me. So, yeah, I can see that. Uh, The last pet on our worst list is very deserving of a number one spot. And that is Ella from Monkey Shines. I have never seen that movie. I don't know. I don't know anything about this one. Oh, wow. Okay. So Monkey Shines is a 1988 film that was written and directed by George Romero. And it's about a guy who finds himself handicapped and he gets help by way of a helper monkey. He brings his helper monkey in who has been tested on in a lab. And because of the test that she's been through, she gains some psychic abilities and she's also uh, much more intelligent than what you would ever expect her to be. And so as she continues to form a bond with her owner, she becomes very jealous and she starts taking out everybody in his life in really horrific ways, like his girlfriend and the doctors, his mother, things like that, so that she can have him all to herself. Mm -hmm. And she pretty much does it by the psychic connection that she has with him. So in the end, it's kind of a jealous (laughs) female (laughs) type of movie, but it's a monkey instead of a human. All right. <laughs> it is definitely not a monkey you would ever want to own. And at the end, uh, what always stuck with me is that he kills the monkey 
which always kind of made me sad, even though it's a really horrible little monkey. But at the end, there was this really great scene that they use these awesome practical effects on where he's having this dream sequence and she bursts out of his back. Oh, wow. And it just always stuck with me because, again, this is one that I saw when I was a kid. And I saw it several times when I was a kid. It just kind of always stuck with me on that. But really great practical effects, again, like I said. Sounds cool. I'll have to check it out at some point. Yeah. But, again, Ella is not a monkey that you want to own. <laughs> Doesn't sound like it. <laughs> no. <laughs> Okay, so moving into our best category, and these are animals that definitely deserve a loving place at the end of your bed. So first up is Beast from the Hills Have Eyes remake. Yeah, he's a good one. Definitely deserves to be on this list. I'm always rooting for any animal in a horror film or film period, but you are seriously rooting for this dog from the very beginning. He's just such a great companion and helps his owners. I mean... There are times where you think that he's going to die and he pulls through. I love Beast. Me too. He's a really good dog. And I love the dog in the first Hills of Eyes film. So I was really glad that they brought, I guess, that character back in the remake. Yeah, it did a lot to, to keep the same feeling. Absolutely. Um, the second dog is Sam from I Am Legend. Yeah, he's as much a part of the movie as the, the actor. I mean, I've never seen the original I Am Legend. I've only seen the Will Smith version. Um, but I mean, he was definitely the the main co-star of that movie. <laughs> he really is. He's not there just kind of as a prop or as something that we just have to care about. You know, I, I feel like sometimes animals are just put in films for that reason, just to give us a sense of dread of here's a pregnant woman, here's a child, here's a dog um, that we have to constantly worry about above the the actual main star of the film, I guess. Right. And I didn't feel that with this. I, I kind of felt like, which I'm a huge fan of the book, and I kind of feel like in the film that they did portray him, as you said, like a co-star instead of just a prop that we had to care about. Yeah. And it was well done. Very well done. It's a great movie. It was. And I will admit, I cried <laughs> in that one. It got me. <laughs> it got me a little bit, too. Can't lie. I'm not completely heartless. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the book got me a little bit more, but the film definitely just ripped my heart out a bit. So, yeah. Um, another vampire fighting dog is Nanook from The Lost Boys. I feel like we mentioned The Lost Boys a lot on this on this show. Yeah, it's because it's such a great movie. I mean, it's got everything you want. <laughs> That's true. It's fallen into so many different categories that we've talked about because we've done vampire films. And our last one was, you know kid squads that we love and this one so it's kind of funny how many different categories the film falls into it really does and it's been a while since i've watched it. i really need to go back and revisit it it's been probably two years since i've seen it yeah so nanook i used to love that name by the way i used to want a dog just to name him nanook because i like saying it <laughs> but um it is fun to say <laughs> uh he's one of the smartest characters other than, you know, the the core group of boys, he's one of the smartest characters in the entire film. And he takes down vampires. Yeah, who doesn't want a vampire fighting dog? It's very true. And, you know, I, I kind of worried over him a little bit, but you knew he was going to pull through. So, yeah, it wasn't too much anxiety. He's too strong not to. <laughs> <laughs> very true. So next up, do you want to talk about this one? Because I know it's one of your favorites. Uh, yeah, sure. Gizmo from Gremlins 2. Uh, we we had a little bit back and forth about whether we should include Gremlins or Gremlins 2 um, because 
in Gremlins 1, Gizmo didn't really do anything. He got wet, he spawned the Gremlins, and then he got terrified and he hit a lot. Uh, <laughs> the Gizmo from Gremlins 2 is kind of a badass. Like He goes toe-to-toe with the Gremlins, and he's fighting them on his own terms. I mean, he's got help from the humans and everything, but Gizmo is actually an active participant in defeating the Gremlins in the second movie. And uh, that Gizmo... Once he's been through everything, once you've seen the dangers of uh, getting him wet or feeding him after midnight or any of that stuff, um, that's the gizmo you want to keep because you know how to take care of him now. You've been through it, and uh, you know he can take care of himself a little bit too just in case something does happen. So that's the gizmo you want to cuddle up with. (laughs) He's adorable. He's a fighter. What's not to love? Just don't shine a bright light in his face. Right. You know, the one thing about Gizmo and Gremlins and things like that is, you know, as you mentioned, there are all these rules, right? And I've always just thought about, I mean, kind of what happens in the films, like, what about that one time? Just that one time that something happens or you need a pet sitter. How would you ever explain all of these rules to a pet sitter and trust that they're going to do what they need to do? Gizmo would be terrifying. Gizmo is highly intelligent. I wouldn't think you need a pet sitter because you just put them in your backpack and take them with you. He's a uh, he's very portable, <laughs> you know. And um, or, for a pet with that level of problems that could occur in case the rules are not followed, I don't think you would ever trust somebody to watch him besides yourself. Like you would adhere to the rules very strictly and always take him with you, <laughs> or you would buy him his own little cage that he couldn't get out of or whatever, and you know just leave him in there temporarily if you had to be away from him for a time. And, uh, you know, I think, I think you guys would come to an understanding. Like he's very smart. He knows what could happen, you know, especially after Gremlins 2 is done. (laughs) Very true. Or if you had kids that has a whole other element. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many things that Gizmo could maybe be on both because there are so, it's such a high maintenance pet. Holy shit. Like probably the most high maintenance pet you'll ever have. That's true. Yeah, he's on both lists. (laughs) Well, Gizmo from Gremlins 1, we'll put him on the worst. And Gizmo from Gremlins 2, we'll put him on the best. I I think that's fair enough. (laughs) That's fair, yeah. Um, So the last pet on the list is Chips from Dawn of the Dead. And I love that dog. And when they lower the dog into the horde of zombies and he's delivering the supplies, oh my God, my heart just raced because that dog is so damn cute. He is adorable. That's very true. And I know you're not a huge fan of the Dawn of the Dead remake, but you got to love him anyway. Mm, He was was one of the best parts of that movie. I'll give you that. He really was. And to see that kind of heart racing moment where, you know, like I said, they lower him and he and he takes everything over. It's like, oh, my God. And so, yeah, I mean, what a great dog that he's willing to face a huge horde of zombies to save other people. Well, it's not like he volunteered, you know? <laughs> okay. He didn't, but <laughs> I guess maybe once he gets in the horde of zombies, he's just like shit and just runs, um, and like beelines it where he needs to go, but he did it. So <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not saying he didn't, but I don't think, I don't think he volunteered for that job. <laughs> <laughs> he was a hero regardless. <laughs> yeah. So thank you, Chips. (laughs) Great dog to have in the zombie apocalypse. So yeah, through our best list, we have mutant fighting dogs. We have vampire fighting dogs, a cute little gremlin fighting gizmo, and a zombie fighting dog. I I think that's really well balanced. The best best pets are all fighters is what you're trying to say. I guess so, yeah. Yeah. I guess so. Okay, so that wraps up our main topic of the best and worst pets in horror. 
So on to our hypothetical question. It is my turn to ask a question. Uh oh. <laughs> so Justin, <laughs> let me ask you. If you found yourself in a saw trap, so a jigsaw design trap, and you had to lose two of your limbs to, in order to escape, which ones do you choose? Um, my legs. I mean, just both of them? Yeah. Why your legs? Because if you still have both arms, you can function pretty well as a human. Like, there's plenty of people that get around in wheelchairs and stuff. And, you know, I don't think it would be that hard to be mobile without your legs. Like, you get a wheelchair, you get those, like, robotic running legs like that Olympic runner had. Uh, or, you know, whatever. I think it would be a lot easier. You can learn to walk on your hands. Like, you'd, you'd still have mobility if you have your hands. Um, if you lose your arms... You can walk around everywhere, but you can never sign your name again. You can never play video games again. You can never eat food on your own again without looking like a pig. I just think your your arms are more useful, more multi-purpose than your legs are. Well, what about an arm and a leg? Well, then you're just lopsided. And <laughs> you don't even, I mean, even if you get like opposing arms and legs, like you'd still be walking on a crutch for the rest of your life and you wouldn't be able to do anything while you're watching, walking on the crutch. Like, you couldn't use a wheelchair with one arm. You'd go in circles. Um, you could buy a motorized one, I guess. But, I mean, I don't know. I, I think losing legs is, is the best possible option in that scenario. Not that there is one, but I see what you mean. So, you know, we had an article a few months ago about a woman who's making uh, prosthetic tentacles for people who have lost their limbs. And I kind of thought about that, that, you know, I guess you'd get some amusement out of it. You know, if you use something like that, I mean, and they do make really cool prosthetics now. You could be like an amputee hipster. I could be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think that I would probably, cause I did think about, you know, well maybe like my left leg and my right arm, but then, you know, you do have the issues that you had talked about that you're going to have issues, I guess, on both your upper body and your lower body at that point. Yeah, you'll have like spinal issues too because you'll always be overcompensating for everything. You'll be a weeble wobble, like you won't be able to stand up. It's just there's no good scenario where you have one of each and they're the opposing one, and one of each on the same side is even worse because you just fall over. So, you know, your best your best option is to either go both legs or both arms, but you got to consider arms have more use than uh, than legs do. So, I still think I would go arms, and I would just hope that some really wealthy person would donate amazing prosthetics to me that would have like full functionality <laughs> and <laughs> probably not going to happen, but maybe, I maybe, don't know. I don't know. I'd, I'd give up my legs in a heartbeat. That wouldn't even be a, a question for <laughs> me. Yeah. So that was my hypothetical. Um, so thank you for giving me a lot of images in my head. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so our last segment today is HGL Recommends, where we recommend something awesome for our listeners to hopefully check out. So I'm going to recommend a horror film that came out a few years ago that I was a huge fan of immediately after seeing it, and that is the movie Last Shift. It's available on Netflix streaming, and it's about a cop, a female cop, who goes to an abandoned police station on its last night uh, before they're transferring all the files over to the new police station, she had kind of has to babysit the building for the night and really deranged and creepy things happen the entire night. It's one that had me on the edge of my seat. It's kind of hard to scare me, I guess these days. Um, and this one did it for me. 
It absolutely did it for me. There were some really good surprises in there. The storyline, I thought, was really strong, especially um, how it ended. And that was where I was worried. Like, the entire time it's building up and it's scaring the shit out of me over and over and over again. And I kept expecting a letdown at the end. And I wasn't let down at all. Wow. So I ended up watching it twice in the first week. It scared me both times. (laughs) I've seen it a couple of times since then. And I kind of find out that I have to turn on a lamp to watch it. So if you're looking for a film that might actually give you a really good scare, I recommend Last Shift. I'll have to add that to my list. That sounds good. I'm the problem with most horror movies is they're not actually scary. You know, they have like right. a, they have jump scares, they have like the tense moments and stuff, but they're not actually frightening. For you to recommend it and say it's scary um, comes pretty high recommendation. So I'll have to check this one out. Yeah, and I think that's why is because it doesn't rely on jump scares. It has a lot of more psychological horror. Or it has situations where you think, oh, God, if that just happened to me, like every single hair on my body would be standing up right now. And so I really like those situations where I feel like if I were there right then that, you know, I would just be terrified out of my wits and constantly questioning what's going on around me. So and especially with the ending being as strong as it was, I was very happy (laughs) for the whole film. So whenever I want a good scare, that's my go to. So I needed to recommend it. Cool. I will check it out. Awesome. Well, my recommendation is a lot less frightening, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I don't play a ton of games, and most of the games that I do play are on my phone. And uh, there's a new game, came out a few months ago, but I've been playing it recently a whole lot, and that is South Park Phone Destroyer. Um, I'm a tremendous South Park fan, always have been. You guys know I love comedy. So uh, it's a RPG with like fighting and collecting elements like you collect cards of all the different characters and then when you get into a match against somebody it's like strategic placement of the characters and they all have different fighting abilities and uh, activated abilities so it's kind of like a real-time strategy fighting game that's also an rpg that's also a collecting game so it kind of merges all those elements together and it's a it's a free game but you can pay for like expansion packs and different cards and whatnot but you can get almost everything in the game just from playing a lot so I've been grinding it out pretty much nonstop for the last week or so, and uh, I'm really, really enjoying it. They did a great job putting this thing together, which I shouldn't be surprised because Stick of Truth was an amazing game, and I've heard really good things about the new one too. So definitely check out South Park Phone Destroy if you're looking for a fun mobile game to occupy some of your time. I'm actually looking for a mobile game. Um, I was going to post on my social media asking for some suggestions because I keep browsing, And I just can't find one that I've wanted to check out. I did just get Thumbleweed Park because uh, I've heard, you know, really great things about that. So that's probably the next one I'm going to check out. But I'm going to put this one on my list because I need a new game. I think you'd like it. It's a lot of fun. Very cool. If you like South Park, you have to like the humor in South Park to appreciate it. But (laughs) if you're a fan of South Park's brand of humor, uh, you'll enjoy this a lot. Awesome. Yeah, I haven't even heard of that. So thanks for bringing it to my attention. Definitely. Okay, so that wraps up our 11th episode of the Horror Geek Podcast. Thank you all so much for tuning in. And of course, we'll be back next week bringing you more horror, geek, and gaming. For more information on our podcast, you can check out horrorgeeklife.com and click on the podcast link. We're now available on iTunes, Google, and other podcatchers. If you enjoy the show, please consider leaving a review and subscribing. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Horror Geek Life. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter under Horror Geek Mail. 
And you can find me pretty much everywhere as at ComicalJC. And if you'd like to check out my other podcast, which is the Mind Fudge Comedy Podcast, it's available at MindFudgeComedy.com or also on every podcatcher. Great. And we'll be back next week. Bye, guys.